Check. Good morning, everybody. Super glad to see you all here this morning. If you're still out in the lobby, um, you're welcome to come on in and find a seat. Um, I'm super happy to have you all with us here this morning, and I hope that you've come ready to engage the presence of the Lord, because he's definitely sure to show up, and I'm very excited for that. Um, A couple of quick things before we get started. If you have one of these awesome bulletins, you can open it up, and you'll see all of our announcements and stuff in there. If you don't have one, go find one. There's all kind of good information and stuff in here that you can have, that you can use. Um, A couple of things I want to highlight really quick. First off is our Seder meal. Coming up here in a couple of weeks, it's the old-fashioned Passover meal. We go through the whole thing. Um, There's explanation with it. It's very, very traditional. It's cool. If you haven't gone through it yet, I highly, highly recommend that you take that time, you set it aside, and you join us here for that. Um, Easter Sunday is a couple of days after that, so if you're looking for somewhere to celebrate Easter, here's an awesome spot to do that. Um, And then the last thing that I was told to highlight for you, um, the bulletin here says that family skate night is canceled for March because our Seder meal is actually the last Friday of this month. Um, That is false. We are going to have our skate night. It is going to be this Friday instead of next Friday. So if you want to skate, rollerblade, do whatever you want to do, it's going to be this Friday, 6 to 8, be here. It's awesome. We put the black lights on. There's music. It's like disco themed. It's really cool. So show up if you can. Um, Other than that, that's all of the announcements that we have for today. Again, welcome. Really happy to have you here. Um, As the worship team is coming out to lead us in worship, I invite you to shake hands of somebody around you or somebody across the room if you feel so inclined, and we'll get this thing started. Good Good morning. So it's fairly early for some of us. And I, I just want you to tell me at the count of three how you're feeling today. No, I said at the count of three. And I just want to get you to give me a number from one to ten. Ten is awesome awesomeness, and one is not awesome at all. One, two, three, how you feeling? I'm about a four. Last night was a Sadie Hawkins dance at the high school. My daughter was up with a bunch of friends, and guess who had to stay up? 
And I ate almost a complete jar of queso and chips at 11.15 at night, and I, I felt awful. And I still feel awful. And you guys just need to know that. That we don't always come to church feeling happy, right? We got a whole host of issues going on. We got work stuff, we got family stuff, we got bills, we got president stuff, we got bridges collapsing and cancer diagnosis. We got a ton of stuff. True? At every angle and every place. So I just want to, let's pause at the beginning here. Let's focus ourselves, our minds, Just be quiet and breathe. And will you tell him why you're whatever number you're at? Just tell him right now. Father God, I grew up in a church that I was supposed to be a 10 just because I walked in the church. And Father, I've learned that you want us to be honest. You want us to come to you in our brokenness, in our lostness, in our doubts, in our celebrations, in our joys, in our pains, in our out-of-controlness. That is worship. And that is how we come to you today, reminding ourselves that you are God and that we are not. Water.
heavens and the earth, the one who gives and the one who takes away. Father, I'm reminded this morning as I consider Pike's Peak, your majesty and your power and your creativity and your beauty that thought that up. Father, we are thankful that we have a daily image of your power, of your mercy, and of your grace. We thank you for that. Father, will you be happy now with our worship, with our dependence, and our trust in you? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your perfect love is casting out fear And even when I'm caught in the middle of the storms of this life I won't turn back, I know you are near And I will fear no evil For my God is That is coming and a heart that holds on. A 
for it's life beyond all compare. And there will be an end to these troubles, but until that day comes, we will live to know you're here on the earth, and I will fear no with us all the time, thank goodness, when we stumble in our music, when we stumble when we're walking. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up, you know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, oh Lord. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride with the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. If I ask the darkness to hide me, I ask the darkness to hide me sometimes. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, 
I cannot hide from you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord God. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully. You say it. Thank you for making me so wonderfully. so complete. <laughs> Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me. Oh, God, they cannot be numbered. How precious are your thoughts about me. That's your truth. That's all of our truth. Even when we're in the thick of yucky stuff and hard stuff and exhaustion and dealing with high school girls at midnight and all the tough things that we go through. Amen.
my strength, you're my defender, you're my, you're my refuge in, in the storm, yes, Lord, you are. Through these trials, you've always been faithful. Here we go. You bring healing to my place, there's a way in your life where you feel alone. You feel alone at work. You feel alone with your uncontrollable kids. You feel alone at church. Can you tell your Heavenly Father where, how, why, if you feel alone? You talk to Him.
me together in my mother's womb. Mother's womb, you have chosen me. Your love has called my name. I've been born, I've been born again. To memory, your blood flows through my veins. We all sing, I'm no longer. when the anxiety raises its head. When we listen to the evening news, it just is a bunch of fear. Our government, there's floods and weather all over the place. There's people being killed and shot and the sexual abuse, and Father, it is a complete mess. And it is a challenge to not be afraid. It is a complete challenge to not be afraid for our kids, for our families, to not be afraid for our little town and our schools. Father, will you remind us today of the deeper, wider, higher truth that we are your children, that we are the sheep of your pasture, that you are the great shepherd, and that in you we have everything we need. You didn't promise that it's going to get all better in this world around us. In fact, you kind of said the opposite. So, Father, continue to secure us in that knowledge that we are your children. Everyone needs compassion, a love that's never failing. fall on me everyone needs forgiveness the kindness of the Savior the hope of
Take me as you find me All my fears and failures Fill my life again I give my life to follow Everything I believe in I surrender Now I Go ahead and have a seat. I want to invite our ushers forward. And I would ask that as we prepare to move into a time of giving and a time of offering, that we we take this time and we we really center our focus on on Christ Himself, and we understand that the the act of giving and offering is really saying, you know what, Lord, here's here's what you've given me. Let me let me give back a little bit. Let me use what I have to make an offering to you. So if you would pray with me quick. Lord Jesus, master of all things, the way, the truth, and the life, we thank you so much just for the opportunity to be in your presence this morning. We thank you immensely for the ways that you have blessed us. And I pray that continued blessing on each and every one of us. Lord, I thank you for the people around us, the people specifically that you have blessed us with. Thank you for the opportunity to minister to them, to have them minister to us. And Lord, as we prepare to move into a time of giving, a time of tithes and offerings, I pray that you will work on each of our hearts, that you'll help us understand that this is really just us giving back to you, because it's all yours anyways. So thank you so much for the opportunity to partner with you in ministry. Thank you so much for the opportunity to give an offering back to you. I pray that this step of faith for some of us, or this act of routine for others, will be something new and something exciting as we move into this time. We love you, Lord. We promise in your name. Amen. You amaze me, redeem me, you call me as you are. You amaze me, redeem me, you call me as your own. You amaze me, redeem me, you call me as your own. You amaze me, redeem me. You call me as you are. 
All right. So as you can tell, I'm not Brian. Um, he and his wife um, are in Oklahoma. They are celebrating the wedding of, I believe it's one of Brian's direct family members. Um, and so he asked me to come and to be with you this morning and bring you a message, which I was super excited to do because I love getting to preach. Um, one, one quick note before we get started, and this is kind of funny that Todd is talking about this. He's, he's like, you know, what number are you walking in um, to the church and all that? I recently just started working a night shift. Um, this was like three, four days ago, and so my sleep schedule is all kind of messed up right now. And so I'm like a four one minute, and I'm like a seven, and I'm like, I'm flipping back and forth the whole time. And I'm pretty sure that my bloodstream right now is about 90% coffee. So if I start rambling on, just kind of going incoherently, just chalk it up to the coffee going through my system, it'll pass, and then we'll move on. Um, but I am really excited to be with you guys this morning. Um, and like I said, preaching is one of my absolute favorite things to do. And this passage that we're going to be looking at specifically today is a really powerful passage. Um, if you've heard Brian specifically preach on this passage before, he calls it the second most important story in all of Scripture, right? behind the crucifixion and resurrection story. Um, and so we're going to be looking at the story of Lazarus today. It's found in John chapter 11. We're going to kind of go through that a little bit. But before we dive in, I, I want to dig into this idea of encounters a little bit because this idea of encounters is very important for what we're going to be discussing this morning. Naturally, we've been going through different encounters that people have had with Jesus throughout his earthly ministry and throughout their lives. And one thing that I've found as we've been diving through this encounter series is that an, an encounter with Jesus, like a real true encounter with Christ, never leaves a person the same as they were. It never leaves them the same as they were. They either like fling way in one direction or they fling way in the other direction. I have yet to find somebody who meets Jesus and just stays. Because an encounter with him, an encounter with the true incarnate God in the flesh, you have no choice but to change. You have no choice but to do something differently. And what's so incredible about that is we have an opportunity to encounter that same guy, that same Christ who we read about throughout the entire New Testament. We have the chance to encounter him. And hopefully you guys will get that chance this morning. Let's take a look at Lazarus. Let's take a look at who he was and what he did. My theme for this morning is this. Jesus Christ did not come to make bad people good. He did not come to the earth to make bad people good people. He came to the earth to make dead people living people. And some of you guys immediately, your switch has been flipped and you're like, oh, I don't know that I like that very much. And other of you guys are like, wait a minute, is he speaking heresy up here? I promise you it's all going to make sense and you got to stick with me a little bit. But our theme for today is Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. So let's start through this story. We're going to read John chapter 11. It's verses 1 through 44, and we're going to kind of take it in three sections here. So let's read. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, 
He stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. We're going to pause there for a second and unpack some of this stuff, because there's, there's a lot happening here. And John is, I, I always love getting to read John's work, because he's kind of ironic when he writes. Um, John's the one that called himself the beloved disciple. And there's one story specifically when, you know, they're running to the tomb to see if Jesus has risen, and John's writing about it himself, and he's like, and Peter ran there, but the disciple whom Jesus loved, again, talking about himself, outran him and got there first. And so it's like, way to prop yourself up there, John. Good job. But you, you kind of get a sense of John's writing here, and it's really cool um, that I think. So looking at unpacking some of this, we, we see that there's, there's these three people, Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. And we know that Mary is one who actually, a couple chapters later, John records this, that Mary takes this really expensive perfume and pours it on Jesus' feet and wipes it with her hair. It's a beautiful picture. Um, but Jesus knows this family. He's involved with this family. John even records that he loves this family. And he goes to each one of them specifically. He says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He's not just lumping them all together and like, oh yeah, you know, I love that family. But John says that Jesus loved each one of them individually, recognizing them, seeing them for who they were, which is amazing. And then you read in verse 6, and so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, when Mary and Martha had sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was sick, Jesus stays where he is. And we're going to kind of get into the reaction of Mary and Martha a little bit, because their reaction is a lot like my reaction would be. You know, you, you've got Jesus and Again, John's recording that you're good friends with Jesus. Jesus knows you. He sees you. It's even recorded that he loves you. And so you're like, hey, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. You want to help us out? And Jesus is like, no, nah, I'm going to stay where I'm at. And it's, it's puzzling for us. We're like, why does he do that? And then after two days, he says to his disciples, we're going back to, do, to Judea. And we'll get back to why he waited in just a second. But he said, let's go back to Judea. And his disciples go up to him and they're like, Jesus, do you not remember like just a little bit ago we were in Judea and you were doing really cool things, but then these people tried to grab rocks and throw them at you until you died. And they're not a fan of that, obviously. And Thomas, at the very end of what we wrote, I love Thomas. Thomas is kind of a pessimist a little bit if you read a little bit more of Thomas. But as they're getting ready to go to Judea, Thomas is incredibly faithful, but he's also incredibly negative about it. And he's like, well... If Jesus is going back to Judea, let's follow him so we can die with him. And they're like, okay, cool, they're going back. But Jesus' answer to this is amazing. He says there are 12 hours of daylight. Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by the light of this world. 
is when a person walks at night that they stumble for they have no light. And Jesus isn't specifically talking about, you know, trying to walk during the day and not walk during the night. He's not trying to give a timetable of why they're not going to make it or why they're going to be late or whatever. But what he's really trying to say here is that I have a certain amount of time to do the work that the Father has given me. And I know what I need to do within this amount of time. So you let me worry about the details. Because know that when we're walking in this daylight, when we're walking in this, I know what's going to happen. And even in the night, I know what's going to happen. I have everything planned out. I have it all mapped out. There's 12 hours of daylight. And I have, I have my work cut out for me. I know what I need to do. And then one other last little thing that we need to see here, and I, I saved this for last because I think this is really cool. After he had talked about the light and after he talked about, you know, I have this time to do my work. I have this time that I have. And then when it's, you know, when it's nighttime, I won't do that work. He says this right after this. He said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And the disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Like they're informing Jesus that if somebody sleeps off a sickness, they're going to get better. Thanks, guys. But obviously, and John records this, Jesus had been speaking of his death. And his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So Jesus, being very forthright with them, says, Lazarus is dead. Flat out dead. Boom, on the floor, no more. And for your sake, for their sake, and I'm even going to argue for our sake, he is glad he was not there so that you may believe, so that we may believe. There's a bigger picture here that I think Jesus is painting because one of the really cool things about John's gospel that he records, and he records it at the end of his gospel, he says, all of these things were written so that you may believe. Jesus isn't simply talking here about a belief in what he can do. Because the disciples lived with him for three plus years. They know what he could do. They've seen him multiply bread. They've seen him walk over water. They've seen him take water and turn it into a completely different substance known as wine. They know what he can do. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm doing this so that you may believe. And he explains it a little bit better in better words later. But he's seeing this that way they can see the glory of God. So that way they can have a true encounter with the power of this God who has created the universe and wants to know them each individually. That's what he's trying to get across. He's saying, I'm doing all of this so that you may believe. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. Jesus didn't come just so you could see the actions. He didn't come just so that way you can say, yeah, I'm going to act this way, but my heart's going to stay the same. He said, no, I want to change you completely and totally on the inside out. And this idea here that he says, Lazarus has fallen asleep and I'm going to wake him up is amazing when you think about that. Because Jesus is saying that the state he is in is not permanent. When we think death, we think, okay, you know, it's death, you're done. That's kind of the end of it. But Jesus says, no, 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 our friend Lazarus has simply just fallen asleep. And I'm going there to go wake him up. Death isn't permanent. This death that he is talking about, he's like, no, it's, it's not a permanent state for you. There's a, another way to be. There's a better way to be. And so we're going to look into that a little bit more. We're picking back up again at verse 17. Jesus has made it to the town of Mary and, his, and her sister Martha. Here's what John says. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. 
but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Sounds familiar. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? We're going to pause there again for a second. So we, we see Jesus entering the town of Bethany, about two miles from Jerusalem, and he, he meets Martha somewhere outside of the city. And Martha comes up to him and says, Lord, first off, it's probably really good to see you. But if you had been here, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. You could have made him well. You could have helped him. What I think is very interesting is that they, they sent word to him even before he had died, just that he was sick. They didn't even send word to him that he had died yet. They just sent word that he was sick because they're probably like, okay, you know, Jesus is doing his Jesus thing. He can just heal him wherever he's at. All he has to do is be like, boom, healed, done. And she has that kind of faith in him. And she expresses that. She says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And I can just see Jesus' face right now. And he looks directly at her. And he says, your brother will rise again. And I don't know that she totally understands this. Or if she does understand it, I don't know that she totally believes it. Because she looks back at him and she answers, I know that he's going to rise again in the resurrection of the last day. This seems to be something that's just outside of her framework, outside of her, her mindset that Jesus is actually just going to bring this dude back up from the dead. And I, I think a lot of times we, we have situations that we see, situations that we face where we're like, you know, if only Jesus had been there, my brother wouldn't have died. If only Jesus had been there, this wouldn't have happened. If only Jesus would have been there, this wouldn't have happened. And Jesus kind of looks at us, and he has that look on his face that I always imagine Jesus having when he's looking at me like, oh, man, if only you knew. If only you knew the awesome things that I have for you. 
And then he says to her, your brother will live again. And he looks at you in your situation with that thing where you're like, if only Jesus had been here, then this would have happened. He looks at you and he says, whatever you think, I've got so much more in store for you. And that's awesome. And again, Martha answers, well, I know that this can happen. Like, this is within my framework. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus says, yeah, the resurrection at the last day, that's awesome. Guess what? I am the resurrection. I am the life. That's power. That's amazing. That is a power that transcends anything you might think you know. He is the resurrection. He is the life. And the one who believes in him will live even though they die. Even though you may physically die, like keel over, done, Jesus says you will live. You will have life. And whoever lives by believing in him will never die. And then he looks at her and he says, do you believe this? And again, he's asking this question very poignantly. He's saying, do you believe? She's like, yeah, I do believe. Again, she's seen him do amazing things. She knows that he can do amazing things, but he's not asking her about the action. He's not asking her, do you believe that I can do this stuff? And she's like, yeah, I believe you can do this stuff. But he's saying, has it infected your spirit? Has this legitimate encounter with me changed you in such a way where you're not seeking the action, you're seeking the character? Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. After she replies to him, she goes and gets her sister Mary. Mary has a fairly similar reaction. She's actually mourning with a group of people. And Martha goes and gets her. And then Mary comes out to meet Jesus. And she says, almost verbatim, exactly what her sister Martha said. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And here we get to see what I think is a very beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit, and he was troubled. There is a Greek word here that I'm going to do my best to not butcher. It's embrimao mai. I think that's right. And that word specifically is what John uses here for Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit and he was troubled. But what's very interesting about this Greek word here is that in the classic, ordinary, usual usage of this Greek word, it means like a horse snorting. Like a horse getting ready to go, it's like, but that's what the word is normally used for. And John's using it here to express Jesus being deeply moved and troubled in his spirit. That paints a little bit of a different picture. Jesus, when Mary comes to him, he sees these people weeping. Yes, he's sad. He's very sad. Two verses later, it says Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the entire Bible. It's two simple words, and it paints a picture of the God of all the universe completely weeping over somebody who has died. But there's another dimension to this. Because again, the word is like a horse giving off that like, that power. It almost even seems like it's anger. Like Jesus hears this and he's like, how dare this evil that has infected this world take somebody that I love for me? How dare this happen? And he's, Ugh! 
and it grips his heart so strongly that it's almost like he lets out that kind of a sound. And then he just weeps. And the Jews see him, and they see his emotional response to this. And they say, see how he loved him. Then again, some of them say, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man, this Lazarus, from dying? One more verse later, right before we get into this, it says, Jesus once more deeply moved came to the tomb. So again, Jesus being filled with this almost righteous indignation for this thing that has happened, he's, again, he's not happy that Lazarus has died. He's being filled with that. And these people are seeing that and they're saying, look at how much he loved him. Why didn't he just save him? If this is hurting him that much, why didn't he just save him? And we go back all the way to the beginning where Jesus says, Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going there to wake him. But before I do that, I got to wait here two more days. He puts it off. He waits. And he does it so that they may believe, so that we may believe. We're going to go ahead and finish out the passage here, picking up at verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there four days. And if you're reading an old King James Version, and anybody who preaches this passage ever makes reference to this, if you're reading an old King James Version, it says, surely he stinketh. There you go. <laughs> then Jesus said in reply to this, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When Jesus had said this, he called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Wow. Just wow. Jesus comes into this place full of just this righteous indignation, this power towards this evil thing that has happened. And Martha probably fairly legitimately says, Jesus, are you sure you want to take that stone away? He probably doesn't smell very good. And Jesus is like, I told you that if you believe in me, you'll see the glory of God. That if you will believe, if you will allow me to do what I do, if you will trust that I have what's best in mind for you, then you will see the glory of God and you will never be the same again. And so they do. They take away the stone. And Jesus has a very interesting little prayer here. Because Jesus doesn't pray... Father, please let, let Lazarus come out of the grave so that people may believe that you sent me. He says, I thank you that you have already heard me. I thank you that I already have this authority and that you always hear me. You see, Jesus' power in this moment doesn't come from a prayer at that time. It comes from all of the prayer that he had up to this point. He'd been in such amazing communication with his Father in heaven that he's able to say, I thank you that you have heard me and that you always hear me. 
but I've said all of this. I've prayed this prayer out loud so that everybody here might believe that you have sent me. Jesus knows that something's amazing about to happen. And when he says all of this, again, he calls out in a loud voice to Lazarus, who's lying dead in the tomb. Lazarus comes, he doesn't really even say walking. I imagine he comes out like hopping. Because it says that he's wrapped up and he's like this and he's got this thing and he's like trying to like hop out of the tomb. Because it says that he's bound up. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. But he comes out. This man who was dead for four days comes out of the tomb. And there's a few things I think we need to understand about this resurrection of Lazarus. And the first thing is I don't think that calling it a resurrection is actually the proper term. I think it's better to call it a reviving of Lazarus. And here's what I mean by that. Lazarus was definitely dead. He was dead for four days in the tomb. And then he comes back out. But when we think of the resurrection of Christ himself, there's a difference here. Because Christ doesn't come out of the tomb like hobbling with the grave clothes still on. Christ comes out of the tomb, and his grave clothes are there, and it's done. And I think this is actually very symbolic of the way that these two things are different. Lazarus was brought back from the dead. He was revived into this mortal sense. But he still had the grave clothes wrapped onto him. He was still going to die again. But Jesus, when he resurrected, he said, death has been defeated. That no longer has any power over me or over anybody else who follows me. And so when I resurrect, when I come into this new and awesome thing that I'm inviting everybody else into, death is done and it's over with, and you have life. And so Lazarus keeping his grave clothes on is actually very symbolic of the way that these two things are different. Because Lazarus was just revived, but Jesus was resurrected. However, what I think is really important about this to note as well is that Jesus is kind of using all of this in some bigger scheme as well. You see, this event happens just a few weeks prior to Jesus' own crucifixion and resurrection. And he lets Lazarus waits in the tomb for four days. And then he goes and revives him and brings him back to life. How much more plausible now is it for the people who hear that Christ himself has resurrected after three days does that event become? They hear it and they say, wow, Jesus resurrected after four days? He raised Lazarus after three days. So I mean like, or after four, you know, whatever. But Jesus seems to get people into this mindset of thinking, guess what? Death isn't the end. If you believe in me, if you follow me, if you will trust in me, then really your physical death is just you falling asleep because it's not permanent. And you know, as I, as I start to think about this, this idea again, I told you our theme for the morning was Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. What's really cool about Lazarus here is I, I don't even think Lazarus was the same after this. If you have a Bible and you want to look over to chapter 12 very quick, I'm just going to read this little part. Um, this is after, so Jesus resurrected Lazarus, and the Pharisees are like, oh, that's really bad. People are starting to believe a lot in him. We've got to kill this Jesus guy, and we've got to kill him now. But what's very interesting is they also have a plot to kill Lazarus. In verse 10 of chapter 12, it says, so the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him pretty powerful testimony. 
Lazarus was able to say, no, like, I was literally dead. And now I'm alive, like, I'm talking to you. And I, I think this very much mirrors um, the story of a blind man that Jesus heals. And he heals him, and the Pharisees come to him, and they're like, what do you know about this man? He's like, I don't know anything about him, but what I know is that I was blind, and now I see. Lazarus has kind of a similar testimony where he was like, I definitely know this Jesus, but I can tell you this, I was dead and now I'm living. And there's power in that. And hopefully you're starting to get the picture of where I'm going with this. Because guess what? John wrote all of these things so that the people who read it would believe. We are reading it right now. So it is meant for us so that we may believe. But what is John asking us to believe in? John is not simply asking us to believe in a man who walked the earth some 2,000 years ago and who was able to raise people from the dead. I mean, yes, he's saying, like, believe in him. That's awesome. But what I think John is really asking is, do you know him better than that? And I think Jesus is looking at each one of us in this room this morning and asking us this very poignant question, do you believe? Do you believe that whatever situation you're in, that I have something even greater planned than what you might be able to imagine? Do you believe? Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He didn't just come to change the way that you act. He didn't just come so that way you can put on a nice shirt and go into Sunday and say hello to that really weird person sitting across the church from you and be like, hey, how's it going? No, Jesus came so you can have an awesome encounter with him. So that way, when you see a slide like this that says encounters, you can say, oh yeah, I know that Jesus guy. I was dead to this. I was dead to my debt. I was dead to, you name it. I can go on for days about how many sins are. And you can say, I was dead to that. I was held to that. I was a slave to fear. But Jesus didn't come just to make you say, well, I now act like I'm not. He said, no. If you were dead to this, guess what? Now you're alive. Because I'm no longer a slave to that thing. I'm a child of God. A real encounter with Jesus, a legitimate encounter with Jesus never leaves somebody the same. I'd like to invite the prayer team up if they're here. I didn't actually check with them at this point. Cool. As these guys are coming up, I, I want you to spend a little bit of time in prayer. And if you would like prayer, um, we'll have maybe one or two people up here who can pray with you. But I want you to offer up a prayer to God. I want you to offer up a prayer to Jesus himself. Just ask him, Lord, is there something in my life that I am dead to right now that you want me to come alive from? Or even better yet, ask him, Lord, where is some place in my life where I can have a genuine encounter with you? Hopefully that's this morning. If you can have a genuine encounter with Jesus right now, awesome. But that's not everybody. And I know that. Maybe your genuine encounter with him is Tuesday afternoon. But my prayer, my hope is that you will take this, this story of Jesus going and raising Lazarus from the dead. And you'll say, yes, Jesus, I do believe. 
Yes, Jesus, I want to have that kind of legitimate encounter of that power that was able to take somebody who was dead and bound in the grave and who now was alive and was telling people, I was completely dead, but now I live. Maybe your prayer this morning is, Jesus, please give me a chance to just encounter you for real, whether it's the first time, whether it's the eighth time, whether it's the three millionth time. Lord, give me an opportunity to encounter you today, this week, this month, this year. God's not bound by years. So take a couple minutes, pray. Ask Jesus what he can do. When he looks at you in the face and says, your brother will live again, have the courage to say, okay, Jesus, I believe. the melody you surround me with song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone I no longer My mother's womb. You have chosen me. Your love has called my name. I've been born again to your family. Your blood flows through my veins. Yeah. 
There we go. Our blessing uh, this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 13. And the author of Hebrews says this. It says, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I hope you all have an amazing week, and I hope you have some kind of incredible encounter with Jesus this week. See you next Sunday.
King of kings. 